Hello, friends. Welcome back to your OELC Castle podcast. My name is Nathan Adams. This is a quick reminder that uh, the OELC programs for 2022 are accepting registrations now, and you can find all information about our programs for students from grades 6 to 12 at www.oelccaso.com. Today I'm pleased to share with you my interview with Dr. Anne Hall. Dr. Hall is an expert on Canadian women's sports and has published several books on the subject. She is also an alumni of OELC and attended OELC in 1958. During the course of this interview, I was amazed to discover that OELC's history does not begin in the 1940s uh, with Gord Wright, who was the OELC's original director, but actually it stretches back several decades before that. And it's pretty amazing, actually, to hear about the progression of the center. So I'm really excited to share that with you today. As well, Dr. Hall is going to talk to us about the importance of OELC in the history of women's sport in Canada and share her own memories of what OELC was like in 1958. This episode marks the beginning of our third season, which is very exciting. We have a new email address for you to use. If you think you have a brilliant idea for an episode, you can reach me at podcast at oelccaso.com. And now my interview with Anne Hall. Can you talk to me about your time at OELC in 1958 and what you can recall about what made the experience impactful for you? Mm-hmm. Well, like all campers, I was 16, which <laughs> is a long time ago now. And I was in grade 11 at uh, Glebe Collegiate in uh, Ottawa. And I was chosen by my school uh, to attend the camp. I was athletic. Uh, I had been involved in the Girls Athletic Association. I was an aspiring leader and uh, all the rest of it. And going to summer camp for me uh, was fun because... and this particular camp had better facilities than I'd ever been to before because I'd been used to camping. Uh, my mother was a girl guide leader. And so I'd been at camp since I was about five years old under all kinds of tents and conditions and so on. <laughs> so this was, this was like prime type camping for me. I'd never been under a roof before. I'd only been under a tent. Um, but to me, it was like having phys ed all day long. It was just glorious. I, I, I still remember this, even though it's all those years ago, and I loved it. And the thing was that in grade 11, you're starting to figure out what you're going to do with your life. And uh, I had many aspirations of maybe being a doctor. I was maybe going into science. I was going to do this and that, the next thing. And I knew I was going to go to university, and what was I going to study? And... When I think about this, I think that this experience really was one of the key factors in me deciding that I would go into physical education. I would become a phys ed teacher. And uh, as time went on, I become actually had my entire <laughs> career, which is actually still going on in physical education. And so I think that camp was really instrumental in me making that decision, which was the best decision I could have made. Uh, to um, become a physical educator. So I, from there, I went to Queens uh, for my BA and BPHE degree, and uh, then I've gone on since then. So it was really key. Okay, that's great. And that's, it's the same story I hear 
well, I've been talking to people about OELC for almost three years now. And when I get to uh, to people to talk about it, whether it whether they got their career idea from OELC or um, it inspired them to go looking for more information, it seems to be a jumping off point um, sure. for our young people, especially mm -hmm. around that age. Mm -hmm. okay. So can you tell me a specific memory you have of being at OELC? Well, I really had to think about this because that's a long time ago, as I pointed out. But what I remember, one of the things I have a clear memory of is that we had to prepare to teach a little short lesson to our cabin mates. And uh, I can't remember what it was. It was some kind of sports skill, I think, or I don't know. I can't remember what that was. Now, this would be the first time in my whole life, really, that I'd had an opportunity to prepare, prepare something and then to teach it and then, and then be evaluated. I was already on my way to becoming a, a Red Cross swimming instructor, but I was, you know, it's still young and I hadn't done a lot. So I do remember thinking that this was really fun. And I thought to myself, I could probably be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and I still, I still have a visual image of me doing this and uh, being evaluated. I did okay, and uh, so it confirmed that I should actually go into phys ed. Just another one of those things along the line that said, "Yes, you should be doing this." It is, it is true, isn't it? The teachers. I, I'm a teacher myself, and there's nothing. There's that moment when you're standing in front of a room full of people giving them important information, where you actually something in the back of your head says, "You know, <laughs> this might be it." <laughs> Yeah, right. no, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. great. Okay. Um, and I'm curious, This, this, um, I asked this question to lots of people, but I'm not sure if it'll still be relevant. Are you in touch with anyone you met at OELC? I am indeed. Um, nobody of my um, cabin mates or people, but I am in touch with my counselor. Oh, wow. Who was, her name was Mary McDonald. And uh, she was just a wonderful person. And I am still in contact with her today. She is, I think, about, she, she must be 90. And uh, she's still active and fit. Uh, she lives in Vancouver because um, she was a wonderful athlete in that she represented Canada in both basketball and volleyball oh, wow. uh, at the three Pan American Games. And uh, she was a member also of what's known in Canada as the oldest women's basketball team ever. And she was still playing well in her 80s in this group of <laughs> octogenarians were still playing. Oh, uh, although she was originally from Ontario, uh, she went to Vancouver and she taught at John Oliver High School uh, from 54 to 87. Now, Mary, I still get emails from her because she knows what I do as a sport historian and writing about sport and physical education and she still sends me little blurbs she sends me little updates she sends me little things and have you thought of this or have you thought of that so um she i mean she was a, as i say a wonderful counselor and uh you know my sort of image of the uh, just the 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 most perfect physical education teacher there could be and that's what she spent her life doing so yes the answer is i'm still in touch with her Wow, that is wonderful. And thank you for sharing that. Her, I would be delighted to speak with as well, but we'll talk about that another time. <laughs> yeah. so, um, okay, now you've done some research into the founding and history of OELC. OELC's website formally states that it was founded in 1948 by Gord Wright. But my understanding is that OELC's story begins in 1929. Can you tell me about those early days? Yes, it does. Um, 
1929, um, in order to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the Ontario Athletic, A Athletic Commission, the OAC, they purchased 17 acres of farmland along the shores of Lake Kuchiching near Aurelia, and that's the site of the current OELC. And they were using tax money from professional sports teams. All professional sports teams of those days had to provide a certain amount of their income to the Ontario Athletic Commission, which then they took in and they used it for their own purposes. Um, and so during the next two years, after they bought the property, they landscaped it, playing fields. They built a 440 cinder track. Uh, they built a swimming dock. They erected furnished cabins, a dining hall, buildings, and enough to accommodate about 60-plus athletes plus staff. And they began operating a three-week uh, summer training camp for high school athletes, boys only, mm -hmm. to note, from around the province, mostly in track and swimming. And then as we go on through the years, that was operating for quite a while. Uh, 1934 is the first time that women benefited from that site. Mm -hmm. uh, and the Department of Education began holding annual week-long um, workshops for female physical education teachers mm -hmm. uh, from across the province. And then uh, stemming from those times when the first time women were able to use that facility, uh, from 34 to 44, after several refusals, the leaders of the Women's Amateur Athletic Federation of Ontario persuaded the OAC commissioner, who at the time was Lionel Conacher, uh, to let them use the camp for their own leadership development. Uh, programs and they then they began to subsidize the participation of outstanding female athletes uh, from across the province the same as the boys so uh, I'm not exactly sure when in that period but I think it starts around 1934 that girls were allowed to the first time then the other interesting thing is that the Margaret Eaton School in Toronto which was a women's physical education college mm -hmm. and the only one and the first in in Canada uh, held its September camp counselor uh, training course for its students at OAC in 36, 38, and 40 under the direction of Florence Summers, who was the director of the Margaret Eaton School at the time. Hmm. So there is this long early history, uh, all done and promoted really by the Ontario Athletic Commission. That's wonderful. And thank you for all that information. I think it's it's um, so fascinating to hear that this, uh, the history of this place goes back that much further and to hear how engaged. I love the idea of the professional sports teams <laughs> being responsible to support um, the athletic uh, commission. That sounds wonderful. I don't think we're doing that anymore, but <laughs> that's great. Um, okay. So let's, let's move on. I know OELC, um, I've been told OELC had a particular role in the Second World War. Can you talk to me about that as well? Well, um, as far as I know, I'm not sure it had a particular role because I, I, I thought about this. And I did a little more research. But um, as far as I know, that between uh, 39 and 44, uh, the camp was made available then to the Department of Education for the upgrading physical education teachers, both male and female. But in 1945, which is actually before even the time that 48, when Gord Wright became involved, the Department of Education, it did conduct summer camps. Uh, for both boys and girls uh, from the 7th and 8th grades in schools. Mm -hmm. And the campers came in buses and stayed for two weeks, 100 at a time. 
So the girls were in July and the boys were in August. Now this was specifically a, a summer camping experience. And you have to remember in those days that in Ontario, um, although there were a number of private camps for camping, they were expensive. And so of course the only opportunity that um, boys and girls had to go to a camp was if they belonged to an organization like the Girl Guides or the Boy Scouts. Uh, but you had to be a member to attend these. So this was simply, um, there weren't a lot of uh, relatively inexpensive options. And I think this was part of the rationale. In, in the, post, the immediate war and post-war period, there was a lot of attempt to get kids and youth out into the out of doors and summer camps was a way. So um, I was curious about this because this was one way in which that camp obviously could be used. Mm -hmm. So the campers were selected from 23 elementary school uh, inspectors of the public and separate schools. And they were selected on the basis that they needed camping. They could afford a small fee, didn't cost very much. And their academic standing and extracurricular, extracurricular activities merited the experience as a reward for them. And uh, one report stated that the results were most satisfactory, especially for the girls. 200 girls had two weeks of living in the open and for the first time in their lives had a taste of community living. So it was it was a, an opportunity, I think, spurred, promoted by what would have happened during the war. Mm. And, uh, you know, life really got upset and disturbed. And there was opportunities for individuals to in young young people, especially to attend the sort of camps that were, weren't available to them available to them anyway. My understanding is that OELC began as a male only institution, but that changed in the 1950s. And Helen Gurney made some real contributions to those changes. Can you talk to me about her OELC legacy? Mm -hmm. Well, it's the first thing to say is that it is correct that um, OELC first began for boys only. Because in 1946, the Premier of Ontario, who was George Drew at the time, challenged officials in the Department of Education with two questions. And I'm getting this from a very interesting report that um, Gordon Wright gave to the, uh, an international conference at some point. And uh, I hadn't known this before. But he asked these two questions. What can be done to provide every child in the province with the benefits of a camping experience? And secondly, how can the facilities of the Ontario Athletic Co Commission camp be used more effectively than for the training of star athletes alone? So that was the premier coming with these particular questions. So in 1947, the property was then transferred to uh, the Public Works Department. Okay. And the Department of Education asked to take over and operate the camp for educational purposes. So a small advisory committee was set up consisting of educators, the athletic commissioner, and representatives from track and field. And they agreed first that there was a need for an athletic leadership training program and that the secondary schools should be responsible for selecting students who would then return to school and help coach other students. So the boys program was introduced in 1948. And uh, you had at that time 327 boys, which represented about 1% of the schoolboy population attended the camp during a nine week period. So only boys. Okay. Three years later, the boys, the girls program began in 1950 and with the further goal of identif identifying potential candidates for teachers in health and physical education profession. You have to remember that um, 
following the war, immediate war, there was a real shortage of physical education teachers. Hmm. First off, there weren't very many university programs for them to be educated in. Secondly, uh, the, there were men coming back from the war. And they, many of them went into pee, but the women as it happened in most cases, were sent off and, you know, <laughs> where they had been before weren't necessarily where they were going to be during after the war. So there was a real shortage. There were um, um, calls put out to Britain. So at that time, you get many British emigres coming into Canada uh, trained in physical education. But there was a real need to promote the training of women physical educators in Canada. So we come to then. Oh, just um, uh, one thing to point out is that it's between 52 and 54, and I can't quite figure out the exact time. The name of the camp changed then to the Ontario Athletic Leadership Camp. Okay. And that was the camp that I attended in 1958, right. OALC. Mm -hmm. So now for the role of Helen, Helen Gurney. Um, no doubt she and others in the Department of Education, and I think of Ellen Sexton here, who's uh, a, another person who was very well known at the time, uh, were aghast that these initial camps uh, were for boys only. And they lobbied hard with Gordon Wright, who was the director of uh, physical education in Ontario to change this. And I think he was very open to this. Uh, I don't think, I don't think this was a, the more I look at this, I don't think this was a, a deliberate move it was just the way things were in those times that you know well of course this should just be for boys um now i remember helen very clearly um because she was in charge of the camp that i attended in 1958 mm -hmm. and uh, i in fact i knew her my entire professional life um even though i had long ago moved out to alberta because i i began teaching as a teacher in ottawa in phys ed uh, she came and uh, inspected me <laughs> at that time. And um, later in her retirement, uh, she wrote a couple of books, uh, one about the history of women's sport at uh, University of Toronto and the other about the history of CAFER, Canadian Association of Health, Physical Education, and Recreation. Mm. And when I was doing my own research on women's sport history, um, I interviewed Helen at length because she had been so key in Ontario in promoting girls and women's sport, uh, making sure that the organizations were there, making sure that the uh, teachers got the support they needed. She was an absolutely key figure. And uh, she continued to be in touch with me up until almost the day she died, um, giving me little tidbits of information. Uh, I remember when uh, the first edition of a book I wrote called The Girl in the Game, History of Women's Sport in Canada was uh, released. She read it. She sent me a, a handwritten five-page letter of, of all the things that maybe I'd forgotten or shouldn't have forgotten or whatever. But uh, she, it was very positive. And she, you know, she was a very, very fine person. And uh, she had a tremendous amount, um, uh, did a tremendous amount to ensure that girls and women received every opportunity possible in sporting and physical education endeavors. They don't, they don't make them like her anymore, really. <laughs> well, she sounds wonderful. And, and it's amazing to me, you think about you, where it's remained in contact with the both the course director and the and your specific counselor from OALC for so many years. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, thank you for all of that. That was great to hear. Now, um, I'm going to move more into uh, asking you to speak as an expert in this stage, although I feel as though we've already had the benefit of lots of expertise. 
So speaking as an expert on Canadian women's sport history, what made the OALC program unique and important for young women? Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think there are two things. Um, it, first of all, it was the most important contribution I thought to the original OALC program. I can't speak for it now, mm -hmm. um, was to encourage leaders, especially girls. Now in this report, I talked about the Gordon Wright made in 1958. He, and he made, he, he made this to a, a large conference it was the British empire and Commonwealth conference on physical education. And he pointed out that those who attended the camp accepted responsibility on student councils, athletic associations, and acted as organizers and officials for intramural games, resulting in increased activity for, far, for more and more students. And this was certainly my experience. When we went back into the schools, even though I had been uh, involved, it, the expectation was that you were now, you'd been trained, you know, even though it was two weeks, you'd been trained as a leader and you had some certain responsibilities. And times were so different then because as students, we, we, took, we did a lot of the intramurals. We took charge of things. We ran them because there, in my, in Gleave at that time, I think there was only two women physical educator teachers, oh. a large school. So we learned how to be, be leaders and they, and they made sure that we used those skills that we learned in the school. So I think that was probably for girls, especially, who weren't normally put in those situations, that this was really important. And then the other second thing that I think that the, uh, why the program was so unique and important for young women was that records show that a large percentage of these leaders entered the teaching professions, not necessarily physical education as I did, but anyway, teaching. And indeed some had returned to staff positions and some were employed as supervisors of physical education. So those were the, I got those two points out of uh, Gordon Wright's report in 1958 to this large conference. And uh, I agree with them completely. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's really good to hear. And if it, if it helps, I mean, our current courses still have a very strong mandate about writing a, an action plan about what you're going to do when you return to school, what our leaders mm -hmm. will do when they leave, mm -hmm. leave OLC and return to school, what they should be doing and how they're going to support um, their school communities. And that, that part of it has not changed. That part stays, remains consistent. Yeah. Actually, I've spoken now to people from who have been to OLC through every um, decade it's been operating. And um, that message remains the same, that we were chosen, we were to go return to our school and be engaged and provide uh, leadership opportunities for themselves, but also to share their knowledge with the, with the school community. That's yeah. what they are to do. Yeah. That mm -hmm. message has remained consistent throughout. And it still mm -hmm. remains the part I find most remarkable about mm -hmm. the OLC communities. It doesn't matter when you were there or how you were engaged in it. That particular thread has remained steady throughout its mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. Now, I, I can't thank you enough for all this wonderful information. It's so exciting to hear about um, the early days and where things began. And I'm wondering, because I feel like as though I don't even know the questions to ask at this point. Is there something else you'd like to share or you'd like to tell the OALC community that uh, maybe I missed something? Well, I did, I, I did think of one thing. These programs in this camp was unique in Canada. There is no other problems that I can find to figure out uh, as far as I can tell, no other province was able to provide this sort of camping or leadership experience, never. So it's unique. And we talked about this a little bit earlier, but it's ironic 
as it seems, it was professional men's sport, which provided the initial funds uh, for the Ontario Athletic from the Athletic Ontario Athletic Commission to be able to purchase the property for the camp. So, and I understand that the camp property is likely to be repurposed or sold. And so one wonders, maybe they'd like to step up again. <laughs> uh, and honestly, that sounds wonderful to me and maybe we'll be lucky and, <laughs> and be able to start going down that road. And that concludes my interview with uh, Ann Hall. Thank you so much for listening. This is a gentle reminder that OELC is always looking for small donations to help support their bursary program. The bursary program goes uh, to support students who may not otherwise be able to afford to attend an OELC course. You can find all that information at www.oelccaso.com. If you've enjoyed today's program, can I ask you please to share, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast so that we can find the other OELC people out there who might not know about it. That would be very much appreciated. Take care, and I hope to speak with you again very soon. Mm -hmm.